The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joel Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Do you wonder how to get people to trust you, respect you, look at you more as a leader, a salesperson, or even a trusted partner? To answer that question, Lieutenant Colonel Rob Waldo Waldman, also known as the wingman. Waldo, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Joel. Hey, thanks. How are you, man? Nice to... uh, Nice to see you. Thanks for uh, making some time. God, no one is busier than you. You fly more than anybody and speak. Uh, your schedule is amazing. Well, yeah, I think we're all busy these days. I know you're a hustler, too. You even wrote a book on it, right? <laughs> and and we also have a relationship, and we trust each other. So when, when my people that I know I have a relationship with call me for help, I make time, and I know you're the same way as well, Joe. Yeah, no doubt. So I know you for, uh, for a long time here, and, and one of the things that you always talk about the wingman, uh, always. So, you know, which the trusted partner thing. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us, I guess in this case, your background is really critical to what you do now. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Talk about the where the wingman thing came from and just give us some background on who you are. You got it. So so obviously I retired as a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. Uh, I was a fighter pilot, flew F-16s, uh, the best job in the world, if you ask me. What, what years were those? I was, I was active duty from 90 1990 to around 2000, then reserve from 2000 to 2012 or so. So were you out flying missions like in uh, Desert Storm and those places? Yeah, I mean, Iraq, that- Iraq and Kosovo and uh, did a year remote tour duty in, uh, in Korea as well, doing stuff that didn't make the news, right? And so loved it and, and really learned about teamwork and trust and partnership, not uh, theoretically, but from the cockpit of an F-16, where if you don't trust your wingman or, or man or woman you're flying with, you're in trouble. And so I took that experience, in addition to the years at the Air Force Academy, where they really instilled this concept of servant leadership and core values, integrity and service, accountability, all the things critical in the military, in particular in combat flying fighters, but 
also that are absolutely critical in the world of business that we all operate in. So when I left active duty, joined the reserve, I went to business school, got my MBA and was in technology sales, and then also merger and acquisition consulting, commission-only sales. I learned how to pick up the phone and build rapport and build trust and close deals or or not close deals because of my preparation and trust or lack thereof. Uh, a lot of sales scars and battle damage in, in the business world that I experienced before making a jump into the entrepreneur world, which is where we're both at. And I never turned around. So now I speak professionally 80 plus times a year. I do keynotes on trust and collaboration and courage, talking about my combat experience, my business experience, and even the fact that I overcame claustrophobia as a fighter pilot, which is another another interesting story. You know, um, I'd like to talk about the military for a few minutes because um, when we grew up, the military was so terribly disrespected. And and now, uh, you know, you as you know, I go to Dodger Stadium all the time. I'm I'm always there for the Star Spangled Banner. I, I think it's just a wonderful part. At the end of the second inning, they always salute a military hero of the game, and everybody's standing. Uh, you know, it's it's wonderful. And you know, our children are too young to remember what it was like right after Vietnam, but. Um, How did the military teach you to trust other people or how did they make you trustable? Like what what, what did the military do to cause that to happen? So it's an interesting question because when when I'm speaking, I understand that people's lives aren't on the line like they were in the military, right? I mean, let's face it, Joel, in your your hedge fund investment world and speaking and business things that we do and for the folks listening to this podcast, if you don't do your job, your life isn't necessarily on the line. But it's your lifestyle, it's the life and death of your business, the life and death of the sale, your future, your, your dream homes, the charities you support, your kids' educations. There's a lot on the line. And so what I learned in the military, in particular in the world of flying fighters and combat, because not everybody in the military is exposed to, you know, missiles and, and potential death, you know, let's face it, it just doesn't happen. A lot of us, it does. When you realize that you're well-being, your life and death is dependent on somebody else and that you are dependent upon by your wingmen, the folks that are working with you and for you, it shifts your context. And so when I led missions in combat, Joel, scared to death, knowing that I had a young wingman on my wing who depended on me to take care of him, to check his blind spots, to call out the threats, to make sure we were prepared it gave me such a whole, a a massive shift in my sense of responsibility and the potential burden, for lack of a better word, of being a fighter pilot and going to war and dealing with the stressors and and strains that are part of it. So, So it gave me a heightened sense of awareness and you prepared more. You had to trust that person flying with you to do the right job, to have your back. Uh, to communicate, to admit their weaknesses. There was no alternative. And if you didn't follow those principles of trust, Joel, not only would they not be trusted to fly with you in combat, especially when in war was, you know, was at stake, but you would not make it very long in a fighter squadron. Your reputation capital would diminish. And as I always say, you got to earn your wings every day as a fighter pilot. That's why they're on Velcro on your flight suit. <laughs> you can pull them off pretty darn quickly, right? So what you so what I'm hearing you say is that the seriousness of the job forces people to bond in a certain way and, and behave in a certain way. Do you think business people don't take their job seriously enough? 
Not necessarily. I think business people do take their job seriously, but it's it's incumbent upon the culture. This is the key here. The culture of my fighter squadron, the culture of the Air Force, the culture that was led and emulated by the leaders of that squadron, which were always changing. The standards of performance, we had high, high standards. You walk into that squadron, you better get have your act together. You better be prepared. You better be in the safe studying. You better follow through on your commitments. Because guess what, Joel? We are flying combat tomorrow, and you're part of something special. And when you walk into the squadron, you see the names on the wall, flight leader of the quarter, wingman of the month, the top gun of the year. You're like, I want to be on that wall. That high-performing squadron, that sense of, of uh of, of, of peak performance, that you're entering something special. That is why businesses need to think about the culture that they're creating. That when you walk in as a leader or meeting your client in a sales call, you're one minute late, you're showing up flying by the seat of your pants, you don't know who they are, you didn't research them on LinkedIn, but look at their press releases, do a little bit of behind the scenes searching. If you don't emulate all those subtle yet critical aspects of trust, rapport building, if you're showing up to the mission briefing, not prepared for that flight, guess what? Your teammates aren't going to be very happy with you, and you're probably not going to have a high chance of hitting the target that day because you're only as strong as the weakest link in that formation. You know, I just wonder, uh, you know, like if uh, the military's culture is automatically a culture of of peak performance, top performers, the, the, the best of the best. Although there's, you know, a lot of people make fun of the, the ranks, uh, you know, being lower level people, but, but even those people are required to perform at a high level. But in your particular environment, how do we duplicate or, or begin to emulate that kind of cultural, I don't know, something that just where we have a great culture in corporate America, you know, in these middle market yeah. companies that we attract on this show? Yeah, you know, it's funny because, number one, there's no guarantees of performance in any squadron. If you do reviews of Navy squadrons on aircraft carriers or fighter squadrons, some are very, very tough. Some had bad cultures. Some had, had, you know, if you look in Vietnam, there were some, some fighter squadrons and units that were getting their butts kicked, and they changed the leadership. General Robin Olds, if you look up Robin Olds, O-L-D-S, a retired uh, one-star general, uh, World War II ace and the Vietnam ace. Just think of the years, you know, spanning 30 plus years, an amazing leader. He took over some very poor squadrons that had great aircraft, fundamental training, high standards, but the leader was not enforcing the culture and they became complacent. The accident rates went up. Folks were getting shot down. And then when you change the leaders and enforce the standards and diminish the, 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 the complacency, now uh, you're, you're able to amp up the performance of that squad. And so nothing's guaranteed. Now, we have the foundational training and the standards, but if the leader isn't emulating it and enforcing it, guess what? It can implode very, very quickly, just like in the business world. Look at the turnaround organizations, and I'm sure you're familiar with where there's a poor leader, they shift the leadership, they create new standards of behaviors, slowly yet assuringly shift the culture. Now things start changing and, and you start growing and, 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 and becoming more resilient and more profitable as a company. So it starts with the leadership and the culture. 
You know, it's funny as, as a, I would say as a culture, we tend to look at the, uh, the top performers. We don't tend to look at the bottom. Uh, you know, we look at the, um, what wall street calls these unicorns, these companies that yeah. go off at a billion dollars or more, these thousand one returning companies. Uh, and, and you know, you're talking about in the military, you're talking about these peak performing squadrons, the, the best of the best. But then sometimes, you know, and, and I was sitting here thinking to myself, gee, you know, well, naturally the military would be that way. But the military is not necessarily that way based on what I'm hearing you say that, you know, in Vietnam, the culture was was not great. And there have been other militaries. I know that, uh, you know, Israel in 1973, they'd become complacent. They uh, were so successful in some of the earlier wars that they become complacent. And they had a hard time in 1973. So there, there are other uh, examples of militaries that have let their guard down. Yeah. So it, it does. It all comes back to people. Uh, yeah. And, and you look at good to great, you know, the Jim Collins book, some of these companies who were leading the charge and then the culture changed, the leadership changed. They became complacent. Uh, and so so it, it constantly has to evolve. But another thing that the Air Force and the military does great. And I think is the key, one of the keys to building a culture of excellence is the, is attracting the best of people. How do you attract? How do you, you know, find that diamond in the rough, especially in this war for talent economy that we're in right now, Joe, where it's hard to find people who are, have the work ethic, who have the integrity, you have the sense of accountability and the discipline and core values necessary to succeed. So finding retaining talent what kind of training program do you have air force and the military amazing training programs that are that are followed to the t and at the end of that training program you put them in and boom you shave their hair put on uniforms and six weeks later or a year later after they're done with pilot training and another year after f-16 training you've got this this hardened sharpened sword that, that's able to perform and so Onboarding training is absolutely critical. And also there's a washout rate. 33% of folks that I started in the military and every, almost every training from the Air Force Academy to pilot training to F-16 training, one third attrition, gone, gone, gone. You didn't make the cut. Great guy, great gal, fun person to be around, works really hard, but they didn't have that, that fire in their belly. They couldn't handle the stress. Uh, they couldn't, they weren't prepared enough. And so great companies aren't afraid to cut the bottom chaff and enforce standards and, uh, and make sure that the best of the best stay on board and leverage those top guns uh, to, to influence the rest of their teammates as well. Because you need to, you know, some focus on, you know, guys like us, we want to focus on the high performance, but most of the time in companies, the squeaky wheel gets the gets the oil, right? The, we spend too much time worrying about the underperformers and coaching them and training them instead of spending a lot more time with our peak performers, letting them do the influencing, the training, the informal coaching necessary to lift up those others. So there's a lot to talk about here, but human resources, I'll tell you what, is a key attribute and a key fundamental uh, success factor in any organization that's going to be a peak performer. You know, you know, you talk about large, these large companies. One of the things that I worry about for our, for our large companies in our country, because you know they they turn over. You know, you'd think that these companies they uh, they're never going anywhere, but you know, an enormous number of these Fortune 500 companies disappear over over a period of time, and they they get acquired. They they just 
evaporate, things happen to them, whatever it is, they, they become old, they become complacent. Uh, it, it's very surprising. And a lot of these companies survive uh, on their own momentum. I mean, you got you got to recognize, number one, because they have a lot of money coming in. Uh, number one, they borrow cheap, so their money is very inexpensive compared to smaller companies. Uh, they just have a lot of inertia. They it just they have a certain amount of brand recognition, which may end up not being uh, good for them in the long run. But uh, I really worry for some of these companies that this complacency issue is really an issue. And for the middle-sized companies, they cannot be complacent. They absolutely must uh, get in front of a lot of these issues. And the world is moving faster. Uh, you know, the, uh, the the trends that I document in my trend reports are all uh, indicating that the world is moving faster and we just cannot allow that to happen. So. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the, in, in the fighter world, I learned that firsthand where technologies were changing, constant system upgrades, the competitor, Iraq, Iran, China, copying our technology, changing its systems, the, the global economy, all these different factors, uh, looking at uh, weapon systems and uh, cyber hacking and all those things that impacted us. You had to be extremely proactive with staying ahead of that curve, leveraging technologies. And when technologies change, guess what? Your tactics need to change. When we flew at night at 30,000 feet in Serbia against Milosevic, we can't do a lot of those things today uh, in certain environments. You can't fly low altitude, 550 knots, 100 feet over the ground in certain locations. If the technologies can track you, you ultimately have to change your your tactics. And then when your tactics change, this is important, when your sales strategies, when your go-to-market, your product launches change, your, your strategies change, your tactics change, sometimes that forces a new technology change as well. And so the reason why the military is so great is we invest on updating our tools and tactics and technologies. And it's a constant, I call it a bubble of awareness. We have something called situational awareness, a very big term in the Air Force, in the fighter pilot world in particular, because to build situational awareness, you need 360 degrees of view, not just out the front of your aircraft, but you need to know where your wingmen are. What's, what's the threat coming behind you? Where's the sun? What's my fuel state? Where are the emergency airfields? Where are the threats around me? And so leveraging sensors, and communication strategies to gather this information and then execute your strategy and turn on a dime and change on a dime is very, very critical. So the same thing in business. And if you look at what I do as a, uh, as a professional speaker now, what we do, doing something, what we're doing now, leveraging Zoom, using podcasts to get information out there, um, changing the format of some of our speeches based on the needs of the market, uh, the way we communicate, the way we deliver our message, what's relevant in the market with regards to innovation, sustainability, uh, war for talent. Hey, guess what? We need to adapt and be relevant. Otherwise, here today, gone tomorrow, it's a slow, insidious descent to irrelevance. Yeah, a lot a lot of companies, you know, part of the reason that I do so much of this stuff and I do it with my clients too, is that I want them to see what the leading edge looks like. I want them to see the kinds of initiatives they should be unfolding in their own companies. You know, the reason that, you know, that I do a lot of these kinds of things is, is really related to that so that they can kind of see firsthand what the world looks like for them. And, and, and this is this is why this is so fascinating is because 
there is so much parallel between what happens in the military, what happens in business. So when you were uh, flying on an aircraft and you had all this situational awareness, all these different data points that you had to keep track of, was right. there like a dashboard or was there an easy way for you to evaluate many of these things? Or what was the mechanism that you gathered all this information? Well, first and foremost, you had to leverage your brain, right? Making quick, timely, and accurate decisions based on the you know, being over inundated with all these metrics and numbers and, and data coming at you. This is why training was so important. You've got to focus on the important data and blow off the rest. What are the near missiles? What are the near threats? What data is important to me now that I need to use and take action on as opposed to being distracted by other potential opportunities or other erroneous data? And so being able to assess quickly a whole bunch of data, honing on the, on the important ones, and then forcing your team to move and maneuver and either be proactive, ideally, or reactive if necessary, is the key. And so your mind has to be extremely, extremely flexible and able to process information very quickly. That being said, what makes flying fighters so amazing, and if you look at a cockpit, you know, stores management system, the radar, the heads of display, the weapon systems. I mean, you think salesforce.com is tough or your ERP system's tough? You need to learn how to leverage and implement these technologies in your cockpit of your business to spit out relevant data for you so you can remain focused on the target, on the customer, on the communication rapport building. And what's great today is our technologies and tools are able to process so much more than what we used to uh, and so much and, and freeing up our mind, our headspace to focus on the human interaction, which at the end of the day decommoditizes you, allows you to build rapport, build trust, create that human bond that's so critical to leading. You know, what this makes me think is that there's a lot of parallel here because as artificial intelligence becomes more and more powerful, it's going to do a lot of the mundane stuff. Yeah. But that makes me think of two things. One is it, it really frees us up to do more of the human kind of stuff. But a lot of people are going to use it and they're going to become complacent and they're going to end up doing less important stuff rather than more important things. What do you think? At the end of the day, that's a great thing. Because I want my comp competition to become complacent. If they start worrying so much on the technology, and if I get more LinkedIn messages and emails and cheesy connections because people aren't doing the, the fundamental attributes of business, which I believe are more important than ever, thus us being on a call here uh, and our relationship that we have, then they are going to become defunct. So as you look at technologies changing and you're leveraging it more than ever, I think You've got to get down to the fundamental brass tacks of human behavior, of leadership, of influence and trust, and all those things that we talked about before this call began about how to be that trusted partner. What are you doing to, to build that brand equity, to be the guy or gal that others can come to for help, that they trust, that they know the answers? And if you're just leveraging technologies and, cyber, and, and, and intel and artificial intelligence for that, yeah, you may gain a competitive advantage in some way, but if it forces you to become complacent, if you fail to continue to read the books, to show up at events and shake hands and connect, if you fail to 
take charge of your personal fitness, uh, fail to listen to those webinars and podcasts like this that are giving you that new tool and tactic, then you too will be irrelevant. Free up your bandwidth to focus on the human element while artificial intelligence and all the great technologies uh, spit out the data needed for you to do that. That, I think, is a competitive advantage. Quite frankly, I think that's why my business is doing so well. We need to leverage that. Stay in that human business. Write postcards with handwritten notes. You know, Pick up the phone more. As we go more and more technology-based, this is my competitive advantage. I'm picking up the phone more. I'm not sending the messages. I, I may take more work. But when I get an authentic phone call, a connection heart to heart, when I get that handwritten note or I deliver it, I think that that creates that bond, that humanity that's that's lacking in many, many business interactions today. I think people are going to find the more the more that we depend on computers, the more we like working with people. And and it just it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be for sure. Let me shift gears here, because uh, the one thing that you do better than anyone, anyone that I've I've seen anywhere is you just have this consistency about your brand. Uh, you know, you're a lieutenant colonel uh, in the Air Force. Uh, you have the wingman thing, and, and you just, you, you, it runs through your language. It runs through your, your dress, your behavior, your concepts, your thinking. I mean, the, <laughs> your guns, uh, you know, on your arms, the whole thing, you know. I mean, it just, you know, you, you have done such a spectacular job of, of carrying this theme through your life. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's one of the things that is missing for a lot of our company leaders. Bringing your authentic self to work. I have a question that I ask some people that I coach because I do some executive coaching as well. How good are you at being who you are? Are you one way at Starbucks uh, ordering a latte and another way when you're interacting with your spouse or, uh, or when you're ordering uh, food at whatever or in, in, in a wherever you're at, at a public event or interacting with a leader at a company. And one thing that you mentioned before, and I, I can attest because I know you pretty well, is that you're you're the same way on a podcast, on a phone call as you are shaking hands at our million dollar speaker group at the National Speakers Association. The transparency, the authenticity of who you are comes out, which means as a leader, as you're listening to this, I think people respect brutal honesty. They respect authenticity, transparency. If, if they people smell BS from someone very, very quickly. And so if you're a pretty intense person, and don't like small talk, and uh, but you're you're trustworthy, you're great at numbers, and all this stuff, or whatever. And that's who you are. Then then leverage that, and then don't make excuses about it. If you're a people person and love to to connect and and have conversations, uh, if you uh, believe in something from believing in God or political standpoints, whatever it is, obviously these days you need to be tactful and, 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 and be aware <laughs> of your surroundings in the world of diversity. But I think people will respect you when you don't sell out your core, what you believe in just to be liked, as long as you're doing it with tact and respect. 
And so let's say, for example, you know, looking at religion for that matter, I think somebody who believes in God and respects that and won't work more than eight hours a day because they want to go to church or they want to work 12 hours a day because they don't believe in anything else other than people and doing the work and all that. I think if you're if you're a human and build core values and care about folks and show up with honor and integrity and you don't try to hide behind some facade, people will respect that as long as you don't push your standards and values on someone else. And so as I build my wingman brand of trust, accountability, if I can't show up to a podcast on time, if I turn people away when they ask me for help, if I'm a butthead at the National Speakers Association, walk out, walk around like I'm better than everybody else, then that's not transparent. That's not authentically who I am. Then I'm preaching a philosophy of trust, but I'm not living it every day. So I know that's kind of a a long way to look at it, but just be who you are and believe in what you believe in respectfully and honorably. And I think you'll attract more folks that are like-minded to you uh, uh, a lot easier than being, being a phony. Listen, and that, that's become uh, even more important in this uh, polarized society of ours that, you know, people really, they have to be who they are, but I think they also have to be a little bit open-minded about who other people are hundred percent, and they have to be okay with that. And, and, and so I've gotten older, I've gotten more tolerant of things that I might not have been earlier. You know, it's like you look at the world your way and, and I don't know why you look at it your way, but I'm okay with that because as long as you don't screw it up for me, I'm not going to screw it up for you. Right. You know, let's just both have a good have a good life, and and I think that's a, kind of a respectful way. Yeah, yeah, mutual respect, you know, and and um, but then you know, I, as a fighter pilot, as a, as a you know, my book never fly solo, and being known as the wingman, a lot of that brand building, that personal branding, um, kind of just naturally evolved. And I think we all have a certain personal brand where we walk, show up to our office as a head of sales or as an entrepreneurship of a small financial insurance company or as a CEO of a multi-billion dollar consumer packaged goods industry. Your personal brand, uh, what you believe in, how you conduct yourself on and off the platform, so to speak, is critical. And they need to see consistency. That's the key word that I was missing before. Consistency across the board, where you are, what you believe in. And they also need, as you eloquently reflected, Joel, is to is to respect other people's opinions, uh, attract their insights and evaluations and feedbacks and, and, and get them to share how you can improve. This is the key of being a wingman. One of the things that I love about the business and what, what makes me more congruent as, as, a, as a trusted partner is that I'm open to feedback. I've got blind spots. I need guys like you, Joel, who are very, very smart in certain areas to kind of put me on the right path. And if I got to know you more on a, on a, on a more intimate level and as, as, a, as a deeper friend, I would say, Joel, you need to call me out if you see me slacking off, if you see me, uh, you know, not being living to my potential. And a good friend, a good wingman will be willing to piss you off to tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. And so attracting those people in your life who are willing to get you a little uncomfortable, to get you to feel, to get you to become better, sharper, more relevant, more innovative, more uh, growth minded. That is the key to building a trusting partnership. And it's one of the keys that I've leveraged in my business when I talk about and how I got to meet a great person like you. Hey, you know, it, it takes a lot of maturity to attract a wingman at that caliber. 
somebody that you're okay with them calling you out when things aren't going just right, when you're not performing at your potential, when you're not uh, being however you've identified you want to be, and then being okay with it, right? I mean, that, uh, you know, that, that takes, uh, it takes a lot of personal uh, fortitude. Oh, tell you what, you want to go, you go into a fighter squadron, man, you go into a debriefing when we take off our rank and our name tags and we lose the, 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 the personalization and the ego, the rank, gloves are off, baby, and, and you're getting hit in the gut and you better have thick skin because we are there to improve, to get better, not necessarily, not necessarily to make friends. We're mission focused, not relationship focused, focused on the mission. Let's get the job done. Let's all make it back home. Let's serve our customers, take out the target, uh, work together. Didn't make a difference the color of your skin, your accent, your sexuality. We were there to get the job done. And we had to be open to that feedback because that's how you improve. And once again, it boils back to tact, mutual respect. Ticking you off doesn't necessarily mean I could do that tactfully, but I've got to tell you if you're messing up. Uh, and do it the right way in a loving way, but in a growth-focused way. And if that means you're 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 going to get upset, and it means you're going to quit the squadron, guess what? So be it. But we you're not, then you're not cut out for it anyway. Roger that. Roger that. That's that's that goes back to the culture piece that we mentioned before, and building a great squadron of uh, of peak performers who are open to that feedback, who are pushing each other, but uh, and uh, and avoiding complacency. So I imagine, you know, when you're given this kind of feedback, either receiving it or giving it, uh, you know, it can be upsetting. But when the mission's accomplished, do the relationships end up stronger in spite of the fact that you've been uh, had to say tough things to each other? 100%. I remember coming back from a lot of the uh, a lot of my missions, right? And when you're getting shot at, and I've been shot at quite a few times in the, in the, in the military, I've been able to shoot some targets as well and save some save some folks and back each other up. When you come back and sip a cappuccino or or a, or, or a Corona, and you look at that guy or gal you just flew with, there's a new sense of bond and a new sense of mutual respect. Most of the folks that I flew with, you'd be surprised. And look, I'm five seven. You know, if you met me off the street, you wouldn't think I flew fighters. But there's something innate about these folks. There's something innate about a peak performer that that you can't put your finger on. And some of the most unassuming people could be your biggest performers. Some of the folks most different than you can be your most loyal teammates. And so nurture them, get to know them on on the inside out. I I remember flying with Brits and uh, French pilots and Korean folks, folks with different accents. You never know at the end of the day when you come back from that mission and especially taking the mask off and getting to know these folks that, uh, that they're amazing people. You build that rapport, you build that trust, and the, the seasoning of freedom and the ability to share a cocktail or a cup of coffee after putting your lives on the line together surely builds bonds that uh, have lasted me a lifetime. And, and, I, and I still keep in touch with folks uh, that I've worked with. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, it, it does nothing better. And you, once again, didn't matter the color of their skin or their religion or where they were from. We are, I think at the end of the day, we're all basically one and the same thing. When you tap into that, build that trust from the inside out, it's, it builds loyalty and helps you bring some more, bring some more wingmen into your life. Well, listen, um, 
I just want to say thank you very much for being on the show. I mean, you, you know, this show is always about the inside track and you've really shown us a, a lot about the inside track of leadership, personal branding, authenticity, all these things that companies can benefit and profit from, which is why we call it profit from the inside. So Waldo, thank you very much for, uh, for being with us, for sharing, for contributing and for just for being uh, your good self and for being my friend. So thank you very much. You got it, Joel. By the way, I, I don't know if I told you, if, if anybody wants to get a free download to my New York Times bestseller, Never Fly Solo, uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times bestseller, if you, if you go to yourwingman.com, yourwingman.com and forward slash NFS, like Never Fly Solo, yourwingman.com forward slash NFS, put your name and email address in there. You can get a download to the audiobook, share it with your friends, share it with your kids. And then uh, stay in touch as well. And we'll make we'll make sure and put that in the show notes too. You got it, brother. You got right, it, Joel. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. The inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000. And download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.